But the goal wasn't for him just to be satisfied with the dream. The goal was that the dream would set him up for a destiny. And we all have a destiny that God's calling us to. Sometimes we get stuck getting excited about the dreams that we get and getting filled up thinking that the destiny is only for our accomplishment. When God really wants to work through us to change and touch the lives of others. It's always about others. Can you help me to, to teach that? Somebody that's near you, will you look at them and say, it's always about others? I mean, isn't that how we got grafted in? We got grafted in because somebody was thinking about us, primarily God. The Bible says in John chapter 3, verse 16, for God so loved the world that he did something. It was about others. And he could have stayed settled between him, God the Father, God the Son, who took on the form of flesh, Jesus Christ, our Lord and our Savior, and God Holy Spirit. Jesus gave himself up, sacrificed himself. In fact, he experienced separation from God. When I was a little boy, I used to hear during the Easter season, especially on Good Friday, you would hear Jesus on the cross being depicted either in a movie or you read it in scripture, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And even though it says that it was going to happen and it was, pro it was prophesied that it would happen, when it actually happened, it did something to Jesus. But that was the sacrifice. He experienced separation from God the Father so that we never have to. It's about others. And the same thing for the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit agreed to be here. Jesus said when he was leaving the planet, I'm going to pray that the Father will send the Holy Spirit and he will abide here with you forever. So it's always about others. And so for our lives, when God gives us a dream, when we're filled with ideas and creativity, experience and skill, education, it's good, but let's not peek at it being something just for us. And even the destiny, where you can see that it's getting me and launching me to a certain place. Let's make sure we realize that God's destiny in our lives is always about others. So one more time, look at somebody on the other side or behind you. Somebody else will say, hey, it's about others. <laughs> it's about, it's about others. So we've been looking at these um, character traits that are developed in someone, specifically a guy by the name of Joseph. And you'll find the story of Joseph in Genesis chapter 37 all the way up to 50. You see the whole pattern of development, these tests, if you will, that God put him through and the character traits that he learned so that he could be a good ambassador. And the goal is always to be ambassador for God. Four, 2 Corinthians chapter 5 says, and we are ambassadors for Christ. And it's important that we learn certain um, uh, character traits and we, we go through these tests so that we're not ambassadors of our own kingdom. 
And that's why one of the tests, one of the first tests that God put Joseph through was the pride test. Your test. And so over the past weeks, we've heard about the pride test. We heard about the pit test. We heard about the palace test. How do you handle prosperity? Can you learn all of these things so that God can ultimately work through you? And there are things that need to get worked out in all of our lives. And that's why we teach and learn and allow the Holy Spirit to open our eyes. In fact, um, one of my favorite songs is a song that says, Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. I want to see you. I want to see you high and lifted up. I want to see, see you. And so we say that every day. So we've gone through the pride test. We've gone through the, the, uh, the pit test. What happens when you're in the dungeon? What happens when you're having a hard time? Can you see the benefit of being in the pit? And we've had those seasons in our lives, my life, my wife's life, those that are close, those that I've taught for years, we've seen it. We've seen it even in scripture. Because everything's not always going to go so well. But will you stay with Jesus when it gets hard? Will you walk with him when it's challenging and, and even when other people leave you or when people misunderstand you? And everything doesn't go the way you thought with the job, with the relationships, with the body, with the car, with the finances. Are you, are you going to stick it out? Are you going to learn, God, what are you trying to teach me in this season? Where you're not a complainer? You know, the complaining spirit is an attractant to, de to demonic influence. If you want the devil to show up, start complaining. If you want the devil to show up, start accusing others. If you want the devil to show up, start gossiping. Because those are his character traits. And so we're going to find things that Joseph went through, and he wasn't protected. In fact, the Bible says in the book of Corinthians, there is no temptation taking you, but such as is common to man. We're all going to go through it. But then he says quickly, God is faithful. Can we say that together? God is faithful. He's going to make a way of escape so that you can bear it. So there are things that happen when you are in the pit. And then there are things that happen when you're in the palace, when you're experiencing provision and prosperity. Our brother Dino was teaching on that a few weeks back. And there are things that we have to learn how to handle. Can you handle it when God puts wonderful things in your hand and puts you in charge? Can you handle it? Or does it mean that you've arrived and we put God on the back shelf? in the back seat. So we have to learn these things. And none of this teaching, and we're going to hear some things today um, that's going to be somewhat challenging. Um, the Bible says when discipline comes, when God corrects us, when he shines the light on certain things, it, it may be challenging, but it comes from a place of love. But I will be quick to tell you today, none of what is said today and throughout this entire series We've got some more tests that'll come after this in terms of character development through Joseph. But none of it is meant to bring any shame. So while you're hearing things, if it locates you at a particular place, it's not for the purpose of bringing shame to you, regret to you. 
condemnation. What's the difference between conviction and condemnation? Conviction comes from God to convince you that you need him, and he's got a way to get you there. He brings help. God didn't go through all the trouble of sending his son just to point out your defect, defects and wave an accusing finger. He came to make it right. So that's conviction. And the Holy Spirit, through today's teaching, is going to bring a level of conviction. Here, online, he's going to bring some conviction to wake us up to some things. But then there's condemnation. Condemnation comes from the enemy, comes from the devil, saying that the situation is hopeless. You might as well give up. You know, God's mad at you. You've gone too far. You're beyond help. God didn't send his son. This is St. John chapter 3, verse 17. I quoted part of it a minute ago from the Message Bible, but from the King James Version, it says, God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. He didn't come to bring a hopeless perspective. says, but that the world through him, through his son, might be saved. So that's the picture. We've talked about the, uh, the pride test. We've talked about the pit test. Um, we talked about the palace test. Last week, uh, we started talking about purity. And we're going to do a second part to the purity. And the reason is, is that these are these are the kinds of things that are, are ingrained in our culture. Things that have to do with perversion, great wickedness, and especially when it comes to sexuality. So it takes a couple, takes a couple of these. And as a, as a pastor for years, you know, my goal isn't to come up with a nice sermon every week. My goal is that you get it. The goal is to teach it to the degree where it brings life and light to you, and then you get to the place where you can teach it. Not for glory. I got a message that I want to teach. I got a fresh word that I want to give. No, for the purpose of bringing light and life to those that are around you. Because there are some people, honestly, that will never come into a building like this. They'll never come in. And our goal isn't to... You know, to make it so that everybody in community gets in here. We, we want that. We want people to have a safe place where they come in here, learn about God, experience community with you amazing people. I met somebody this morning. We have the same name. The same name. So, so today, we've got three Terry's in the room. Raise your hand, Terry. Her name is Terry. And now raise your hand, Terry. Her name is Terry. So you better watch out because we're getting stronger in here, that Terry thing. But we invite people in so that they can experience love. They can experience God's grace. But the reality is that everybody's not going to come in here. And that's what happened with Jesus. Jesus started out in the temple, but then he got outside. And when he got outside, he was exposed to all of the broken, all of the bruised, all of the poor the oppressed. And that's what Julie was sharing this morning, that the Spirit of the Lord would come on us and lead us to set the captives free. 
So it's important for us when we hear these kinds of teachings and lessons that it's mixed in. Part of it is God's plan, his holy nature being expressed. But then very quickly, it's his grace that comes, which is why when we grow as Christians, we grow in knowledge and in grace. He says grow in grace and in knowledge, the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And sometimes we just grow in knowledge. We grow in knowledge, now we get puffed up because knowledge puffs up. But love builds up. And so the knowledge can bring the awareness, this is a holy God. And he's shining the light to show you, you might be off in this, but his grace is here to help and strengthen and lead you to life and lead you to healing and wholeness. So under this purity piece, the reality is that we're talking about sex. I don't think it's been that quiet in here for a long time. I mean, it just, it wasn't, I couldn't even hear you breathing. You know, we, we've got to talk about these things that we see in Scripture that matter to our character. And it's because we live in a culture steeped in perversion. It's just deep in it. And so there's perspectives that happen with the church. How do we handle this? So we're going to talk about a couple of characters today with the time that we have left. One of them is going to be Joseph, and the other is going to be Abraham. And I, uh, I want to read a passage of Scripture to you out of the book of St. John chapter 17. St. John chapter 17. This will be in the New Living Translation. And this is what he's saying. This is Jesus praying a prayer before he leaves the planet. He's praying a prayer. And just so you know, uh, Jesus' ultimate plan was to bring people back to God because of what happened with Adam in his rebellion. He got his eyes off, listened to what the accuser, the thief, the liar said. And when that happened, separation between mankind and God happened. And if you look at Romans, the book of Romans, chapter 5, chapter 6, even chapter 4, talks about what happened when uh, one man's disobedience took place. It brought death. So every man and woman that was born after Adam was born in a state of death, separation from God. I'm not just talking about physically dying. I'm talking about that spiritual death. He says the day you eat of that fruit, that's the day you die. He didn't die physically, but separation from God took place. And from that moment forward, God started making moves to get another man on the planet. And Jesus said, I'll take up that role, and I'll put on flesh, and I'll lay down my God status, and I'll become like a man so that I can experience all the temptation, the attack of the enemy, all of it, and so I can say yes to God and fix this thing. And so one man's disobedience bought death, but one man's obedience bought life. And now we get to reign in life by one man, Jesus Christ. And so when that happens, we are now, we're, we're set to be like him in the earth. 
So when I become a Christian, I'm not just biding my time until it's time to get to heaven. I'm going and waiting until, you know, waiting in a spiritual, you know, tube or a spiritual holding cell until heaven comes and I can go to heaven and live with Jesus. No, you know, Pastor Pam shared a message, you know, for years she, she shares this thing. As he is, so are we in the earth. So we ought to look just like him. We ought to respond just like him. And when you look at someone like Abraham or you look at someone like Moses, you look at someone like Joseph, they're types of Christ. And then Jesus, the Christ, came and he said, now I will be the firstborn and anyone born after me spiritually will get a chance and have the capacity to live like me. So when Jesus is praying this prayer that I'm going to read, part of this prayer in St. John 17, he's saying the kinds of words that set us up for the kind of success that he had while he was here. See, he's not some Lord of glory that gets to do all these things. And then he goes, he says, now you do them. He says, no, I'm going to give you the very power, the very grace, the very wisdom, the very word that I use. I'm going to give the same thing to you because I need you to do the things that I was doing. He said that. He says, the works that I do, you're going to do them, and even greater works. Because I'm going to leave, I'm going to pray the Father to send the Holy Spirit. He'll abide with you and strengthen you the same way. And this is for everybody. Let's take a poll. If you are a born-again Christian where you have accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, raise your hand high. Don't be embarrassed. Don't be embarrassed. Now look around. Keep the hand up and just look around. Look around. Look around. Don't look at me. Look around. Look around. Look around. What do you see? You see old, you see young, you see, you see different colors, you see men, you see women, you come from different backgrounds and, and all the differences, which means that what I'm going to share with you talks about you. You don't have to be 35. You don't have to be 80. You can be 17. You can be unmarried. You can be married. You can work in different places. You can live in different places because it's the very power of God flowing in the lives of whoever says yes. And so I'll read this passage of scripture to you, starting in chapter 15, St. John, I'm sorry, verse 15, St. John chapter 17. And he says, this is the prayer, this is Jesus. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world but to keep them safe from the evil one. Do not, they do not belong to this world any more do I, than I do. Make them holy by your truth. Teach them your word, which is truth. And just as you sent me into the world, I am sending them into the world. And I give myself as a holy sacrifice for them so they can be made holy by your truth. I'm praying not only for these disciples, but also for those who will ever believe in me through their message. I pray that they will be one. They will all be one. Just as you and I are one, as, as you are in me, Father, and I am in you, and may they be in us. Here's the kicker so that the world will believe you sent me. It's always about 
others. It's always about others. There are three different perspectives that happens when we look at what it looks like to be in the world, but not of the world. Christians take on these three, these three different ways. And you can see the three points that we put up there. They'll do one of three things. They'll separate completely from the world. They'll compromise in one or more areas. Or they'll live by God's holy standards while living out in front of everyone in the world. So you can do one of, two, you can do one of three things. Completely separate so you won't have anything to do with anybody and you protect yourself. I won't be around anybody that's bad, anybody that's negative, anybody that's doing anything wrong. I'll just completely stay off and apart. Or I'll get around people because it is important to be around people. And then uh, I'll compromise. I'll do a little of this. I'll do a little of that. I'll still wave my hands that I'm holy. I'll wave my hands that I serve a holy God. But I'll, you know, every now and then this, every now and then that. Or I'll say, you know what? I do live for God. And these are holy hands. And I do live in a state of allowing his character to flow through me, not by my own strength, but with the power of the Holy Spirit to I yield to every day. Yeah. And I won't do it all by myself. I won't do it just in this building. I'll do it when I go to work. I'll do it when I go on vacation. I'll do it when I, when I go to the movies. I'll do it on my street. I'll do it with my family. I'll do it. I'll do it when I'm behind closed doors and nobody sees me. So that's what we're trying to get to. We're trying to get to not just, you know, hibernating and getting away. We're trying to get to, I want to live for God in the world because I need to influence others, but I want to do it in a godly way. I want to do it in a godly way. There are five things that can help you with this if there are challenges. And we're going to unpack some things uh, for a little bit, but I wanted to get these five points out to you. Because sometimes you can listen to this just like we started last week. Started looking at some of the issues that are out there with adultery, using our bodies and our minds. We're talking about, we're talking about sin and iniquity. Transgression, meaning I, I'm, I'm trespassing. I'm going beyond the line where God says go. So, for example, I'm not married, yet I'm having sex. So I told you we're going we're to talk about sex today. All right? So don't, don't get scared and don't let the enemy, don't go into shutdown. Don't, don't experience paralysis. No. We're going to talk about sex. Let's, let's loosen up. Everybody say sex. God created it. <laughs> Oh, 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 let's go to another level. Let's say this. I have sexual organs. It's like, what in the world is going on here? What kind of church is this? Listen, at the end of the day, this is where we need to talk about sex. And this is where our children should be learning about sex. In the church and in the home. 
They shouldn't be learning about it online. They shouldn't be learning about it with their friends. They shouldn't be learning about it when they go away to school. They shouldn't be learning about it when they go to the bookstore and hear these magazines. They shouldn't be learning like that. It ought to be a safe and healthy and wonderful picture because God created it. All right, wave at me if that makes sense. That makes sense? Let's get some involvement. You talk about sex, you got to use a lot of jokes, and you got to talk a lot. That's what happens when, when we talk about sex, man, because we, we freeze up. But sometimes we get to a place where we have to realize, you know what? I need to get some discipline. In St. John chapter... St. John chapter 8, verses 28 to 32. In fact, let me, let me just read that one. This is John 8, 28 to 32. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture as it relates to discipline. This is what Jesus said, verse 28, St. John chapter 8, reading out of New Living Translation. So Jesus said, when you have lifted up the Son of Man on the cross, then you will understand that I am he, and I do nothing on my own, but I say only what the Father has taught me. And the one who sent me is with me. He has not deserted me. For I always do what pleases him. Then many who heard him say these things, said these things, believed in him. Jesus said to the people who believed in him, you are truly my disciples if you remain faithful to my teachings and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. The King James Version says, then Jesus said to those Jews which believed on him, um, if you continue in my word, you'll be my disciples or disciplined ones. And you'll know the truth and the truth will make you free. So continuance in God and in what he said makes you discipline. And the amount of discipline that is in there will determine the amount of truth that comes. And the amount of truth that comes will determine how free you ultimately are in every area. We're talking about an area of sexuality because it's not just going to come on you. Being disciplined in the area of sexuality is not just going to come on you like a, like a ripe apple or a ripe cherry, ripe cherry right on the tree. It's just going to fall down. You get it in the basket. You just walk, oh, here, yeah, yeah, I just woke up and I was disciplined. Nope. It didn't work like that. So I'll give you some points on discipline. These are the five steps towards discipline. Number one, admit. This is A, B, C, D, E. Admit. Admit there's an issue. And that issue could have come generationally. You could have had grandfather, great-grandfather, grandmother, great-grandmother. It could be in the culture of your family. It could be the environment that you were raised in. It's like, look, we're just free like that. That's what we've always done. But then you come into a relationship with Jesus, and you find out that God says, be holy because I'm holy. And then you realize, you know what? I got a problem here. And I'm not talking about declaring shame on your life. You know, and saying you're just this horrible person and, and you're addicted. I'm not saying that. I'm saying realize I got a problem when it comes to this. We were talking last week. We were talking about don't look. Don't look because Jesus said it's not just those that trespass, those that cross the line. I'm unmarried, yet I'm having sex. He says it's not just those. In Matthew chapter 5, he says, I want you to know that in God's way of looking at this thing now, it's more than just touching a woman. It's more than just intercourse with another woman. 
It's, it's more than the sexual activity. He says, I want you to know from here on out that there is iniquity. And the iniquity says, it's what you do in your heart. So you may say, look, I went as far, but I, I didn't know. We didn't have sex. Yeah, but were you lusting for her? Were you lusting for him in your heart? So we gave an antidote last week and said, don't look. David's problem was he looked. He looked. He went out on the terrace and he looked and he saw Bathsheba. He saw her taking a shower. He looked. Lust came up in his heart. It was only a matter of time before he actually did something, but it started when he looked. So say, don't look. Say, don't look. Don't, don't look. Oh, be careful. <laughs> I was a little boy singing in, uh, in Bible school, vacation Bible school. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. Oh, be careful, little eyes, what you see. For the Father up above is looking down in judgment. No, no, no. He's looking down in love. And what's the real, what's the deal? He doesn't want us bound up. He doesn't want us bound up. So I got to guard my eyes. And if I've realized that something has happened and it's just there, Paul said in Romans chapter 7, I know that in me, that is in my flesh, dwells no good thing. For to will is present, but how to perform it, I can't find it. So the good that I want to do, I don't do. The evil that I hate, that's what I end up doing. And he gets into the end of it, and he says, you know, King James Version, I was reading as a little boy, and it didn't make sense until I got older and started studying that thing. As a little boy, he says, oh, wretched man that I am, who's going to deliver me from the body of this guy? Man, I'm, I'm, one, translation, one translation says, oh, miserable. I'm miserable. Why? Because in my heart, I want to live for God. In my heart, I don't want to be bound up with this stuff. But I find myself looking. I, I, can't, I can't walk down the street without looking. And I think it's in my heart. You look long enough, you're going to end up doing something. But it's not just when you do something do you violate God's law. It's when you look. So you've got to get good at not looking. Like I said last week, you know, some of these, you know, the youth programs and Christian youth programs, they would tell, say, look, the, the, the second look is the look of lust. Well, not if you have one long first look. That thing is in there. So you, you have to make up in your mind, oh, oh okay, <laughs> okay, I know what's over there. And then you're not walking down like this with your eyes closed and running to a pole, got to go to your urgent care. No, you are, you are getting to a place where you immediately say, Holy Spirit, help me. Holy Spirit, fill me. I need you, I need you. And he will help you. He will help you. Ask the Savior to help you. That's another old hymn. Comfort, strengthen, and keep you. Jesus is willing to aid you. He will carry you through. It's a wonderful course, but it comes on the verse of someone who was journaling, and the words came, yield not to temptation, for yielding is sin. Each victory will help you. Some others to win. So if you get victory, you'll be able to help somebody else. So first step, admit you got a problem. Second, B, B. Believe God can help you. Believe God can help you. See, don't do it on your own. Find out the power that's in the word of God. Claim the word of God by faith. Now, here's a big one. Here's a big one. Decide in advance. Don't wait until you're in the middle of the storm to try and make a decision. 
There you are, you and the girl kissing, you and the guy kissing. There y'all are in the bed, just come from Bible study. And then all of a sudden you wake up, how did we get here? You know how you got there. You didn't, you didn't decide in advance. Decide in advance. Draw the line. Make the decision. Get an accountability partner and say, this is what's happened in the past, but I'm making a decision. I want to live for God. Come hell or, fire, come hell or high water, I want to follow his orders. And so I'm bringing you in for exposure and to let you know, I want to do this God's way. But make sure it's somebody who's bigger than you. Make sure it's somebody who's bigger than you. What's the first one? Admit you have a problem. What's the second one? Believe God can help me. What's the third one? Claim the word of God by faith. What's the fourth one? Decide in advance. In advance. Don't try and build a house in the middle of a storm. And then E, I just talked about, enlist some support. So those are steps towards discipline. Remember, if you continue, if you continue, not just start, not just start. You heard, you heard Stephen playing the piano this morning. He's able to move with those chords because he practiced even when it got hard. He's just practicing, 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 practicing. My middle son, he used to come home, eighth grade, he used to come home, and, and uh, here he is down there playing the piano. And I would hear him playing the piano, and then all of a sudden it would get quiet. And I'd go down there, and he's just daydreaming, look at some other things. I'm like, Ange, come on, man. Let's get to those scales. And now, if you listen to Andrew play, I mean, my goodness, he just saw his. But it took some discipline. You got to continue. You got to continue. You got to continue. And if you fall down, get back up again. But make sure you have somebody with you. Ecclesiastic says two are better than one because if one falls down, the other is there to pick them back up. But we're talking about the era of sexuality. And the enemy would love for us to be by ourselves because of embarrassment, because we don't bring those kinds of things out, because it's not a safe environment, we go through these things. And the Bible clearly says, confess your faults one to another so you can be healed. The problem is we don't create safe environments to talk about sex. Where I start, I start fathering, you know, even, over, even in, you know, all throughout the, the city, the region, the nation, I, I, uh, I oversee pastors. The first things that I say to them, how are you guys? How, how, how's you and your, how are you and your wife? How are you and your husband? How are you guys doing? Like, oh, we're wonderful. She's amazing. He's amazing. Yeah, how's your sex life? And invariably, they're like, not spend time, you know, warming them up, making them feel comfortable. Everybody's laughing. Hey, how's sex in your house? What? Because that's the part. And they've learned about me that it's a safe environment to talk about. It's safe. Where do I get that from? I get that from Jesus. I get that from the book of Isaiah. He says, come now. Let's reason together. Your sins look like a mess, a hot mess. But we can, we can make them white as snow. They're like crimson. We can make them like wool. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. And once again, don't go talking to people who aren't strong in that area. The next thing you know, you drag them down, then you drag down, and you're worse than before. Get around people who are bigger than you. 
bigger than you. He says, I need some accountability. Can I talk to you about this? Wave at me if that makes sense. You're waving? Okay, cool. All right. Um, now, real quick, real quick. And I want you to read these things when you get home. I want you to read these things when you get home. Uh, I don't have that um, listed. I don't have it listed as the, uh, the primary, um, but, uh, but God is always looking for people. God's always looking for someone who has been called out and set apart. Someone whose life can be aligned with his character. We've seen it in the life of Joseph. We continue to watch this and we'll add on the life of Abraham. What's the goal? In purity, in purity, in this purity test that we take, God's going to help us to be transformers and as his church, be part of God's great deliverance. This is impurity, but he's always looking for someone. He's always looking for someone. Um, and you can, you can find that in a few places. So today, if, if you look real quick, real quick, I want you to read. I want you to read. Write these passages down because we're not going to be able to get through them. Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 19. It's Genesis chapter 18. Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 18, we look at a culture that's in chaos, it's in decline, and it's about to experience God's judgment. That's the culture. Remember, I don't pray that you take them out of the world, but you keep them in the world. And so in Genesis chapter 18 and 19, you see a culture that's about to experience God's judgment and specifically, we're talking about Sodom and Gomorrah. And we can look at our culture and create a parallel sexually. Remember, we're talking about sex now. You can create a parallel, and they're in those three areas. What are the areas that you see in what was going on in Sodom and Gomorrah? You see homosexuality, you see violence, and you see social oppression. Homosexuality, violence, and social oppression. I mean, man, there, there was such perversion in there. And not only was it just a homosexuality, man, there was just rape going on all the time. Just massive rape and the threat so that the, the culture had no problem with it. And so I want to read something to you so that you see what it looks like because God, God heard the outcry. And he sends guys, he sends two angels, and the Lord comes to Abraham. And he says, I'm going to tell you what I'm about to do. See, that's how you know. Listen, that's how you know you've got somebody who is called out and walking with God. We're not talking about just somebody who shows up on Sunday mornings. We're talking about somebody who's walking with God. He says, shall I not tell Abraham what I'm going to do? He's my man. And you'll find in, in Ezekiel, you'll find it all throughout. He says, I'm looking for a man. I'm looking for someone who'll stand in the gap, make up the hedge. He said, but I couldn't find anybody. But here we see Joseph's life, and here we see Abraham's life. God's about to, God's about to bring some judgment on Sodom and Gomorrah. 
And just like Abraham living in the vicinity of this culture, this perverted culture, we're living in the vicinity. And our culture has gotten very loose when it comes to violence, when it comes to sexuality. Now we know, and you know, the thing that happened with Joseph, let me just pivot back with this. In Joseph's life in uh, Genesis chapter 39, and I don't have time to read it today, but I, I went through it last week. You know, here he is, has been put in charge of all this stuff. You know, Dino bought out a few weeks back. Everything was in the, in the king's place. Everything in his master's house, he gave it to Joseph. But now his wife comes to him. And every day she's saying, hey, I want to have sex with you. Every day, pressure. I want to have sex with you. I want to have sex with you. I want to have sex with you. You know what Joseph says? He says, how can I do this? And everybody repeat this after me when I say it. How can I do this great wickedness? This great wickedness. We're talking about sexuality now. But in our culture, just like in the vicinity that Abraham is in and his nephew Lot, who was actually living in the culture, that thing got all watered down. So we got to be very careful about how much we're taking in movies and thoughts and songs. I've never been in an environment where they openly drive down the street playing sex songs. And nobody's got a problem with it. So much so, you can go into a movie theater, you can go into a bowling alley, you can go into a restaurant, and they're playing this stuff. That's why my son cuts my hair. I don't go certain places to get my hair cut because I don't want things getting in my ear. It's culture. And so it doesn't sound like that to us. We've got friends. We've got people that we know. And remember, I'm not talking about shame. I'm talking about God's character. I'm talking about God's character. Because remember, Jesus saw the woman that was caught in the act of adultery. And he didn't shame her. Jesus saw the woman who was caught in the, who was at the well, and she had five husbands. She was living in perversion. He didn't shame her. Yet he did not bring down and water down God's holy standard. So we get comfortable. I'm watching movies. Here's this really nice guy. Here's this really nice girl. They come into a chance working at the job, and they start to really flirt nicely. So it's like, oh, they look good together. So you find out that he's married. But they already got you in the movie thing because they want you to like them. And they don't want him to be loyal to his wife. So I got to watch who I root for. He could be my favorite actor, but I can't root for him when he goes against God's holy standard. Bible says a little leaven leavens the whole lump. You let a little in. What is that called? Great wickedness. Say it with me. Great wickedness. Again, don't shame people. Don't tear them down. Don't look down on them. Don't make them feel second class or less than. Why? Such were some of you. But we got in this in our society, we got to be like we got to be like Abraham. He says, I, I found somebody, and I'm going to give him a great name. And it wasn't for him, but it was so that he could show forth God's greatness. I'll show you what happened. Real quick, real quick, real quick. I'm going to read to you uh, Genesis 
chapter. I'm looking because I didn't do I give them this to the guys. Genesis. Did I put the other one in here? Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19. Where's that at? Come on, Terry. There we go. Genesis chapter 19. Genesis chapter 19, the angels go into Sodom. Genesis chapter 18, God says, I'm going to destroy it. I'm going to destroy it because there's this great wickedness. And I'm about to send a search party out there. I'm going to find out if what I heard was true. That's Genesis chapter 18. And Abraham is like, yo, 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 yo. Is everybody going to get swept away? Listen to his intercession. He said, okay, okay. If you find 50, can you, can you cause judgment to obey? God says, okay. I'll do it if I find 50. He said, wait, 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 wait. What about 45? Because I'm thinking maybe, you know, 45. He says, okay, do 45. He says, look, look, don't be mad at me. He comes all the way down to 10. He's like, don't be mad at me. But if you find 10 righteous, will you spare the city? He said, all right. Like, I'm not mad at you. He said, okay. They ended the conversation. Pick up real quick. That evening, I'm at uh, Genesis chapter, where am I at? One, yeah. That evening, look at this, I'll read real fast. That evening, two angels came to the entrance of the city of Sodom. Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up to meet them because holy rep rep recognizes holy. Kingdom rep recognizes kingdom, just like game rep recognizes game. So Lot was sitting there, and when he saw them, he stood up to meet them. Then he welcomed them and bowed with his face to the ground. My lords, he said, come to my home. Wash your feet. Be my guests for the night. You may then get up early in the morning and be on your way again. Oh, no, they replied. We'll just spend the night out here in the city square. But he, Lot insisted. So at last they went home with him. Lot prepared a feast for them, complete fresh with fresh bread made without yeast, and they ate. But before they retired for the night, all the men of Sodom. Everybody say, all the men of Sodom. All the men of Sodom, young and old. Everybody say, young and old. Came from all over the city and surrounded the house. They shouted to Lot, we are the men who come to spend the night with you. I'm sorry, where are the men who came to spend the night with you? Bring them out to us so we can have sex with them. So Lot's like, yo, 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 yo. He steps out to talk to them, shutting the door behind them. So he's like, all right, y'all stay here. And he comes out and says, all right, all right, guys, guys, guys. In their perversion, they're like, we saw those guys who came. And we want to have sex with them. Bring them out. Young, old, all of them in the city, all of them surrounded. What is that even going to look like? And I want your mind to run. I want your mind just to go. Just let it travel. 
You mean they planned on? Yup. Absolutely. That's why I told you. It was nothing but rape in that town. It was nothing but perversion in that town. He says, bring them out to us so we can have sex. So Lot stepped outside to talk with them, shutting the door. Listen what he says. Please, brothers. He begged, do not do such a, everybody say it loud, wicked thing. And notice we're covering everything. We're covering those. We're covering those. Man and a woman, you're not married. You're having sex. Joseph called it a wicked thing. Jesus said, if you look on someone to lust after them, wicked. It's iniquity, and according to what he said about David, it will travel down generations. It'll visit to your children and your children's children because it is iniquity. It's not just trespassing, it's iniquity. It's not just a transgression and sin, it is iniquity. So put the pornography down, ask the Holy Spirit to help you put the pornography down because you don't want it visited on your daughters and your sons. Because that's how sin does, it grows. It's not just guys now, it's guys and girls now. And it continues to grow. That's why you have so many letters that's so why you have lesbian and gay, and it just, it grows. But understand this, this isn't just because sometimes we hear talk about, you know, homosexuality, it's like, that's right, Pastor, that's wrong, that's wrong, that's wrong. But it's also for a, wrong for a man to look in lust towards a woman, just as wicked. Sometimes we choose our sexual sins that we want to come and swing the bat really hard. No, it's all wickedness. Joseph said that was great wickedness. Jesus said that was wickedness. And here, Lot. <coughs> Lot is saying, how can we do this great wickedness, please? And listen to his options. Look at his options. Look how desperate he is. He says, please, my brothers, don't do such a wicked thing. Look, I've got two virgin daughters. Let me bring them out to you, and you can do with them as you wish. But please leave these men alone, for they are my guests, and they are under my protection. Stand back, they shouted, and they started talking about him. This guy came to town as an outsider, and now he's acting like our judge. Wow, doesn't that sound like present day? We've got to be sure that we don't lose our footing just because we're calling sin, sin. This fellow came to town as an outsider. Now he's acting like our judge. We'll treat you far worse than those other men. And they lunged toward Lot to break down the door. But the two angels reached out, pulled Lot into the house, bolted the door, and then they blinded all the men, young and old. Look at this who were at the door of the house. So they gave up trying to get inside. Meanwhile, the angels questioned Lot. Do you have any other relatives here in the city? We're trying to get you and your family out. We're under assignment because somebody has been interceding for you. Get them out of this place, your son-in-laws, your daughters, and anyone else, for we are about to destroy this city completely. The outcry against this place is so great as it has reached 
It has reached the Lord, and he sent us to destroy it. So Lot rushed out to tell his daughters, fiancés, quick, let's get out of the city. The Lord's about to destroy it. And look at their response. But the young men thought he was only joking. At dawn the next morning, the angels became insistent. Hurry, they said to Lot. Take your wife, your two daughters who are here. Get out right now, or you will be swept away in the destruction of the city. When Lot still hesitated, the angels seized his hand. They grabbed, guys, we've got to go. He seized his hand and the hands of his wife and his daughters and rushed them to safety outside the city. For the Lord was merciful. And when they were safely out of the city, one of the angels ordered, run for your lives, don't look back or stop anywhere in the valley. Escape to the mountains, go up higher, or you will be swept away. King James Version says, escape, go to a higher place lest you be consumed. Lot says, you've been so gracious to me and saved my family, and you've shown such great kindness, but I cannot go to the mountains. This disaster will catch us up there too. I would soon, and we would soon die. There's a small village nearby. Please let me go there instead. Don't you see how small it is? Then my life will be saved. All right, the angel said, I will grant your request. I won't destroy you. I won't destroy the little village, but hurry, escape. There's nothing I can do until you arrive there. Lot reached the village as the sun was rising over the horizon. Then the Lord rained down fire, burning sulfur from the sky on Sodom and Gomorrah. He utterly destroyed them, along with the other cities and villages of the plain, wiping out all the people and every bit of vegetation. But Lot's wife looked back, and as she was following behind, and she turned to a pillar of salt. One of the things that I said in the beginning was, don't let the spirit of shame, all of that stuff get whispered to your ears, because this is Old Testament. But God still is holy. Old Testament, New, New Testament, God's still holy. And that does not mean anytime you hear, <clears throat> excuse me, something going on with uh, a homosexual activity, activity or any kind of sexual activity, that all of a sudden you become some righteous judge. You start looking down at people and tearing down people. No. Mercy. Did you see the approach that Abraham took? Merciful. Be merciful. And find ways. Holy Spirit, how can, I, how can I pray for them that their eyes would be open, that they would see grace and mercy? First you, though. Make sure you're walking in it. When Pam and I get on an airplane, the lady comes down and she starts talking about what will happen if there's any kind of accident. And the oxygen mask will, will come down from the top of the plane. And when they come down, when those masks come down, you first put the mask on. Then try and help somebody else. That's what we want to do. We want to allow God to walk us through these tests. There's a lot that's at stake. Our children, our legacy, generations, and our families. There's a lot at stake. It's a lot at stake with our own vertical. God wants, God wants righteousness and justice. What is righteousness? Our right standing with God. What is justice? How we move with others. So it's important that we give way to the Father. But then after that, pray for the neighbors on your street. And we're going to get to the place where we talk about transformation and all the other stuff. But right today, this last week, we've been talking about sex. 
And there's a level of perversion that are in our communities and people don't even realize it's going to visit. It's going to visit. I can't tell you how I've counseled generations where it was in the father and then it was in the son and you see it in the daughter and you see it and it breaks your heart. And then you see one of them say, you know what? I'm cutting this off. It's not going to happen anymore because your obedience can stop it and it can change direction. So let's let this be something that doesn't cause us to feel shame and, and fear and all that. And it also doesn't cause us to look down on people. Down on people. I know so many people who are caught in all kinds of vile sexual activity. And they are caught up in it. And it's my job, number one, for me to stay straight. For me to stay committed to my wife, to my bride of 36 years. I've got to stay committed. And I need you guys, as we begin to walk through certain doors, you pray for me. Because when I start preaching like this, the enemy will try and come around my back. Thank God he's my rear guard. But we also need to take care of each other. we got to be straight. You all be straight because I can't get into your neighborhoods. I can't get into your family. I can't get into things that are happening, you know, in your in, in corporation and, 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 and HR directors and your supervisors and those that you supervise, your student, fellow students and fellow employees and neighbors. I can't get there, but you can get there. So you stay straight. Say, Holy Spirit, help me. Help me to guard my heart. Help me not to take that second look. Help me to keep all of my members for you. And then help me to help others. I'm going to pray over my street that the spirit of self-control flows up and down my street. Now, you're talking about a prayer by believers? That's a prayer by believers. As opposed to moving into a neighborhood and say, oh, yeah, they're divorced. And, yeah, they're divorced. And they cheat. In fact, they, you know, they, they cheated with each other. And they lived. They were neighbors. We said, well, whoa, whoa. we coming in here. We're bringing light. Father, bless this, bless this street. We want purity to be in this street, light to be in this street, life to be in this street. And you can do it because you are the one. He says, I'm looking for a man. I'm looking for somebody that will stand in the gap and make the package so the very light of God can come. Bow your heads where you are.